0: Uh, I'm pretty sure my plan is this week on Psalms and one more next week before we move on. But for this week, turn to Psalm 15. I'm not one for New Year's resolutions. People divide over that one. But if there is any resolutions for the coming year, It is Psalm 15. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in Your tent? Who shall dwell on Your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart who does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt, and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, beautiful, true word to our hearts and souls and walk. Oh, Father, may, by your Spirit, we continued, as believers in here, be resolved to dwell with you, to be those who bear the fruit of what it is, to delight in you on your holy hill, in your presence, according to Psalm 15. Amen and amen. Here verse one. O Lord, O Yahweh, who who are those people who should sojourn in your tent? Who who are they who shall dwell on your holy In other words, Lord, what is truly worshiping you in the congregation of the saints? In the Lord's church? That's what Psalm 15 puts before us. It answers it, it's a standard of living, of action. That points to our hearts because it flows out of hearts that walk with Yahweh. That dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus. It's the plaque on the wall that mercifully confronts Christians with the question every day. Are you His? His? Are you part of His congregation? When you come to worship with the saints, as we are this morning, Psalm 15 says, Slow down. Evaluate your life. Now, the New Testament tells us the same thing over and over. This is not a division between Old Testament and New Testament. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Peter writes to the church in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now I'm going to read a large paragraph, so hear his exhortation. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life, And for this very reason, therefore, Christian, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Because if these qualities are yours, and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Hmm. David ends Psalm 15. He who does these things shall never be moved. So that's the overriding question of Psalm 15. David leads us. O Yahweh, who shall sojourn in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Jesus answered that question this way in John 4.23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, they'll worship the Father not in the temple or Mount Gerizim, but they'll worship the Father in spirit And in truth, because the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. That's how He answers the question. So, what's the point here? What does that that Jesus just talked about produce? It produces Psalm 15. This is the question that matters. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? Now, contextually, David's reference to the tent and his reference to the Holy Hill are two different places when he said this. In 2nd Samuel chapter 6, remember David brought back the ark of the covenant to his new capital as king, Jerusalem. And worship took place there on the holy hill. But the tent the tabernacle remained in the town of Gibeon about five miles away where the sacrifices continued to take place. David's point is, whether it's over there in the tabernacle with the priest, or whether it's here in Jerusalem on the holy hill with the Ark of the Covenant, what should be taking place is worship. Being in the presence of, of the Lord. And so verse 1, it's the exact opposite of the first line of Psalm 14. It's probably right there on the same page. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so the one, through a rebellious Heart of unbelief says to himself, not not to others, just to himself, there's no God. I'm ultimate. I decide what's true. And if it's true, it's my truth, and that's what truth is. I decide what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. In Psalm 15, is the person who desires God and thinks that nothing is as important as fellowship with God in His tabernacle. In the wilderness with Joshua, Moses had work to do, Joshua didn't, see you later, I'm staying here in the presence of God's glory. Or on the holy hill in Jerusalem. The point is. Who shall walk with Him? Who shall be those who dwell. In the presence of Yahweh. Psalm 15 says to us. Keep first things first. There's a lot of busyness in life. But nothing is nearly as important. As walking with Yahweh. By the Holy Spirit. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so David kicks the psalm off. With the question that he's going to answer. Oh Lord. Who shall sojourn with you? In your tabernacle. In your tent. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And the rest of the psalm then answers the question. And he describes those people with 11 traits. 11 traits of true worshipers. Verse 2 is a broad description of the tendencies of those who love God. He, here's the answer David says, He or she who walks blamelessly and does what is right who speaks truth in his heart now these are three participles in the hebrew which which denote a an ongoing pattern or continuous action this is this is like this is the direction of the person's life he who walks blamelessly, okay, that can be confusing. It's, it's better translated he who walks wholeheartedly. In other words, like Genesis 17:1, when God said to Abraham, "Walk before me," same word, blamelessly, or in other words, wholeheartedly. He's not telling Abraham, or nor does David understand as a sinner. Never, ever sin again like that's doable. It's not about walking flawlessly or sinlessly. The root of the Hebrew word here means whole. It means complete. It refers to one's real inner, unseen disposition Their loyalty toward God. And then, the rest of verse 2 unpacks how that works itself out. Externally, he does what is right. Internally, he speaks truth in his heart. Those who worship the Creator, Yahweh, are those who from the heart love the truth of Him. They love, because of that, what is true in this world. And it works its way out. Externally, in the choices they make and how they live, what they do. They do what is right. And then verse 3 focuses on the worshipper's mouth. Speech. Particularly how He or she restrains what they say. Who should dwell with you? Who walks with you? The one who does not slander with his tongue. See, if you call a person, a particular person, child molester, you have not necessarily slandered, if it's true. But if you call them a child molester or a racist, and they're not, that's slander. This person does not spread false Malicious statements about a person in order to impugn their character. And the next statement, then, it's more general and does no evil to his neighbor. Okay, just think about the second table of the Ten Commandments. You don't murder them, you don't steal their stuff, you don't bear false witness against them, you don't sleep with their spouse. Okay. You don't do evil to your neighbor. And then the final line focuses on words again. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Take it up. It's already spreading. He doesn't see it. Oh, let, let, let me join the fray here. He, he, he doesn't repeat, in other words, false of another he doesn't announce blame against someone join the crowd in order to disgrace the other person he doesn't in other words belittle or mock them for their shortcomings so verse 3 describes those who sojourn in the tabernacle with the lord by what they don't do. It's about self-control over the tongue in particular. And then David turns to the heart of the worshiper. In other words, To something that's there, it's visceral because they're worshipers of God. Because like David, they are indwelt by God's mercy, with God's Spirit. It produces something within them. And he describes it this way in verse 4. They are those, and he is the one in whose eyes a vile person is despised. but who honors those who fear the Lord. The lover of God despises vile people, which at its core is defined by David in the next line, but who honors those who fear the Lord. So the vile person is one who doesn't fear the Lord, is one who doesn't honor the Lord. But their life, their rhetoric, their doctrine is against the Lord. David's referring to the enemies of God. Enemies of God's ways. Enemies of God's law. Enemies of objective morality. And it's objective because there is a God who tells us what is right or what is wrong. They are enemies of the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the Lord Jesus. Murder is wrong because God said so. They fudge on it. Slander is evil and wrong. Homosexuality is sinful. The idea that you are biologically a male and you defy God by saying and wanting others to agree with you that I'm a female is an enemy of God. Vile. In other words, worshipers of the Lord, according to David, they have preferences. They make distinctions. They have affection for God. And they have affection for God's people. And they have a sour taste in their mouth toward those who don't fear the Lord, but oppose the Lord's law. and Oppose the Lord's. People. Those are the ones who walk with the Lord. Now, I can hear in our day of weird Christianity, of non exegetical preaching, of trite religious sayings, many voices that are religious say the quote of Jesus. In Matthew 7. Judge not. Lest you be judged. So Psalm 15. That's Old Testament. Jesus has changed that now. Not to follow that. Jesus' people are to be in a position where they do not discern the difference between the godly person And the vile person. Because that would be, by definition, to make a judgment. Judge not. And I say that would be to misread Jesus. Because that refuses to pay attention to the context. In which Jesus delivered it. Jesus explains in the context of Matthew 7. That he's referring to Non-reflective, self-reflective, hypocritical judgment. Take the huge log out of your own eye, then take the speck out of your brother's. That's the context. Not only that, just for thinking people, I want you to think about it. It is impossible to be a human being and be moral and be rational and not make judgments. You can't do it. Secondly, the New Testament commands us to make judgments about people. Paul is angry that the church in Corinth is refusing to judge a baptized member of the church who is unrepentant. And in the very context that Jesus delivered this, these are the very next words he says in verses 6 and 7. So do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Jesus just commanded to make judgments to discern between the dogs and the pigs. And just like so much of our learning in Western civilization uses animals to anthropomorphize them, that's what Jesus is doing. He's talking about human beings. Make a judgment between pigs. Don't waste your time here. And here, go ahead and share there. Give them pearls, those human beings. That's why the Apostle Peter refers to believers in Jesus as aliens in this world. Something's happened. You've been plucked out of darkness. Supernaturally changed from death to life. From a God-neglecter and belittler to having new Taste buds and affections for God, for what is holy, which always brings with it a love for fellow foreigners, aliens in this world, Jesus' people. The Psalm 15 Christian is not. Neutral. Psalm 15. Christian. Despises. And honors. In whose eyes. A vile person is despised. But who honors those who fear. The Lord. They love the people of God. They love to gather with Jesus' people. They love to worship God. They despise God-haters. They despise slanderers and liars. And from that then comes the worshiper's Integrity. Look at the second half of verse 4. The worshiper is one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, the Christian's word is his bond. When he makes an agreement with someone, And they shake hands on it. Without a lawyer, without any official documents that are then notarized, doesn't matter. He made an agreement. And then realizes, I got the short end of the stick of that agreement. He swears to his own hurt. He doesn't back out on his oath, on his word even when it is to his disadvantage. For example, I mean, for years you know that I've been a house painter. So, there's a house painter. He gives a bid on the entire interior of a home. And he gets the bid. Starts the job. You know, he's a few days in. He's got two employees working for him. He starts to realize, my employees are going to make more money than I am on this house. I really underbid it. Psalm 15 Christian knows, the homeowner has no obligation whatsoever to pay me more money than I have agreed upon. And that Psalm 15 Christian knows I have an obligation to finish the job, to do it right with no shortcuts and to not use the paint, the expensive Benjamin Moore paint that we agreed upon. He swears to his own agreement even though it hurts him financially. He doesn't change. He doesn't renege. He keeps his word. He doesn't back out of his promise. And finally, David lets us know that the worshiper is not, is not greedy for money by taking advantage of others within their circle, friends, family, church. In the Old Testament, the law was clear: within Israel, you don't do this to one another. Okay, by taking advantage of their situation where they're in dire straits and need to borrow money, and they say, "I can, ah, it's going to work good for me." He says, "You don't do that. Nor does he pervert." Justice, truth, in order to profit financially. Verse 5. He's the one who does not put out his money at interest. And does not take a bribe against the innocent. So, this is a person who is not like this. You're a judge. You're a prosecutor. You know. You got the evidence before. You know the person is innocent. And somehow you're offered on the side money. And therefore, you take that money in order to convict the innocent. That is a vile person. Now, that's not the only kind of bribe in order to hurt innocent people. For instance, you could be Dr. Anthony Fauci or drug company executives, or many others who stand to gain a lot of money through vaccines. And so what you do is that you take that bribe against 10,000s, if not hundreds of thousands of people who could have survived COVID. But instead, through your lies, and your energy to do everything you can to downplay vitamin D, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and other therapeutics because you took the bribe. Now, I am fully aware that what I just said, that if it's not true, I have just slandered. With my tongue. Or another example, you could be thousands of CEOs of companies, ten thousands of professors, or organizational leaders who hurt the innocent, who hurt this country by taking the bribe of mouthing, destructive, race baiting drivel and say we are for the organization Black Lives Matter we will have your counselors come train our employees we will fire so and so for saying the wrong thing and they I'm not talking about true believers there are those I'm talking about those who know this is drivel but I'll take the bribe so that you don't attack me or my company my job my status my money it is a bribe taken and practiced regularly today in order to try to get the totalitarian revolutionaries off their back and it is vile they sell out the innocent for the sake of a bribe They're cowardly, vile people. Look, back in the 1930s, the majority of Christian pastors did the same thing. Look, I know that Hitler and the Nazis are now in power, but we're just going to put the swastika up. We're just going to shut our mouth because they'll let us continue to gather and have church. And we want to do that. There's only a few. The people like Bonhoeffer who says, don't you see how vile that is? Who these people are and where it's going to lead. There may be people doing that today. They're the ones who have power to tell us when to worship and how. Don't you see how people are being hurt? Okay. The description that David lays out here of true worshipers in verses 2 to 5, it's a sampling of what kind of life characterizes those who walk with God in faith. This is in other words, is how in the pattern of life it works itself out in our lives as we do horizontal life as those who walk with God. The Apostle James in James 2.18 he puts Psalm 15 this way very concisely. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works so Psalm 15 it's a generalized sample of how faith works itself out it's what an authentic worshipper of Yahweh looks like so In this coming year, be resolved to sojourn with the Lord, with his people. Be resolved to dwell in his presence on his holy hill, wherever you are, by bearing the fruit of faith. Your faith in Jesus. How? What's it look like? It's by being one who walks blamelessly, wholeheartedly, and does what is right. Being one who speaks truth in his heart. Being one who does not slander with his tongue. Being one who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Being one in whose eyes a vile person to you is despised. And by being one who honors those who fear the Lord. By being a person who swears to his own hurt. Your own oath. And does not change. By being one who does not put out his money at interest to gain at the bad situation of another. By being one who does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. And all of that is possible because of the table of the Lord that we're going to now in the next few minutes. What it represents. Any of us can be those people. That fruit will be being born in our life because Jesus was broken. That we might be healed. He was cast off that we might draw near in order to sojourn with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're resolved by your grace as your church, as subjects of your love and of the cross, to awaken every day to sojourn with you, to dwell in your presence and to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're resolved because you first resolved to save us and to love us and to sanctify us and to bring to completion that which you began in us to the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.